My name is Ethan. Uh, I'm kind of old-fashioned, so I have my whole testimony on my phone. So I just have to find it real quick. Uh, and my testimony isn't going to be very long either. Uh, I believe in short and sweet, so uh, it's going to be really sweet. <laughs> uh, and I came to talk about the kids and really just uh, the works with God that were on the trip and really what I took from the trip as a whole. Uh, coming back and talking with my parents about it and what they had to say, and I kind of just adjusted it. So uh, my dad had this epitome the other day about his parenting. Uh, He told me that he wasn't sure at the end of the day how influential he was being as a Christian, uh, as a father to his his son. Uh, He told me that although he might preach about being a Christian and living the Christian life, he wasn't sure he was actively living it, actively living it by serving God as much as he could by going to the homeless shelter or going in missions trips. Not to say that he doesn't. We actually just went to the last uh, feeding that we had uh, at the like, Path of Life uh, ministry. Uh, however, back to the point, I think a lot of us forget uh, to do this, and we too easily live routinely in God's shadow, and somehow we are all satisfied with that. Uh, Yes, we have grace by faith alone, but I think truly one of the only ways that God really reveals himself is through these acts that glorify him. I remember being in the little undecorated, unfurnished children's ministry building with all the children and feeling an ocean of him, an ocean that couldn't be replicated by any commodities or stained glass windows. And this was something I felt an awful lot in this mission trip to Malawi, Africa. I had almost never felt really just sitting still and growing up in the church. So uh, at the end of the day, I think it's really important that you are a gambler for God and you take risks uh, and so he can reveal himself to you. Uh, That's my testimony. Good morning. So we go on, uh, Bridges has uh, gone on mission trips to visit our missionaries. And I think that is the awesome thing that we do. And so going to see Kel and Rebecca was really, really awesome for me. I mean, I knew they're great people and do great things, but I think I was a bit blown away by what I saw. So all that to say, this is what I saw from 2 Timothy 2.2 was totally lived out in Kel and Rebecca, which says, Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's what I saw so much in what uh, we, cause we got to spend a lot of time with his um, six, there were six uh, ABC students, African Bible College students that he had an influence on. We get off the airplane, and I'm this old white person sitting down, and I'm a woman, and one of his students comes, sits next to me as we drive back to uh, college, and just starts talking with me. I was so, so impressed having this guy who's young and was not intimidated and sat there and talked with me. So I thought, wow, he's been discipled by some great man named Kellen. Anyway, so, and so I got to talk. His name was Adwell, and Later, I had some great, great conversations, and he just really admired Kellen and 
his love for God, his authenticity, and respected him, and the word of, and he was getting discipled in amazing, amazing ways, and, um, okay, so that was one of them, and then the other one was um, Angie, she was one of the girls I got to talk to, and so all of these all of them, I don't, I don't think I talked to all of them individually as long as, but most of them, everyone I talked to, their heart desire was to reach out to those communities. So you saw a little bit of these communities. We're going out to these houses that are made of bricks, and there's a, a widow sleep. I mean, I'm looking at, going, you're sitting on the floor, and, and this is your life, and there's, I don't, the bathroom's outside, the well you have to walk to to get fresh water, and I'm thinking, these communities are in desperate need of food and for ways to survive and to live. And all of these uh, African Bible College students that have been discipled by Kellen and Rebecca, their heart's desires to go out there and and do, do community development. Like, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to go out to the villages and be part of community development in sharing the word of God and, and building up these communities. All of them, that was our heart's desire. And I was like... This is blowing me away. This is, we can't, I can't go out there. We can't go out there and, and help. I can't even speak their language. I mean, these, these kids could speak English and then Chichuewa. And so they could speak, but they are translators and they're up and they can, so they can talk to the people that are in the villages and they can love on these people in the villages. And I'm going, this is what it's all about to be a missionary is to go and reach these cross-cultural people. And Kellen is a key between us, who can never go there and live there and do this, and he's there discipling the very key people that need to be out into their own communities, their own country, loving on their people and community developing and being part of this. And so this other girl, Angie, that was her desire. And so we started talking, and she talked about a, her boyfriend. And I said... So is he also interested in this? And she goes, well, not so sure he's really interested in, you know, maybe more business. And so I challenged her. I said, I go, you need to find out. If this is, if this is your heart's desire is to go out into these communities, you need to find a husband who has that same desire to go out into these communities and start ministries like Bright Vision. And so uh, this is, she sent me back an email Last week, she goes, well, I talked to, she called her certain, certain oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she, she, start, she was talking to her certain friend, her boyfriend, and she said, guess what? He's interested in starting a ministry. She goes, I'm praying. She goes, keep praying. And so I want to challenge you to pray. Her name is NG, N-G, so that's easy to remember. Just pray that, um, first of all, that her boyfriend would truly have a heart desire to start a ministry in these Many, many villages that are out there to help community development and help them share, the, share Christ with them. And so I pray that he will have that desire and that, that she will um, be strong in not allowing her desire to minister to waver based on a boy's love who might take her away. So we pray that he and her will um, have that desire. So I just want to say thank you for that privilege of getting to go because it was totally, totally awesome. Um, if you could ever get to Malawi and be with the Rotos, oh my gosh, they're doing beautiful, beautiful work. Can't say enough. And uh, I will pass this on because I could keep talking forever. <laughs> All right, thanks.
Thanks, Cliff, for pointing out I'm the oldest. So when Bridges mentioned this about two years ago, I was not interested in going. Um, I do have a lot of physical and issues and stuff, and I just thought it wouldn't work out. But um, the closer it got, the more God told me I need to go, and I loved every second of it. I have so many impressions and memories from the trip, but to keep this short, I had to pick a few. Kneeling in cow dung to dig a post hole with a machete. Boiled mice on a stick like kebabs for sale along the side of the road. Young girls carrying their siblings on their backs all day. Women carrying endless amounts of water on their heads. Wondering if Ethan and I would make it safely down the wrong side of the mountain as we blindly followed our trusty guide. Hours of cozy bus rides. Hungry kids. Lots and lots of kids. Rickety toll bridges that had that one had to pay a fee for the privilege of crossing over. Two guys dressed up in grass skirts and headdresses hollering and jumping outside this witch doctor's house. Lying down in the dirt to watch soccer with other young boys. The boy in the orange shirt discovered that I have chest hair much like a bear. <laughs> who then told his friend about it. This friend reached into my shirt, grabbed a handful, and proceeded to yank on it. Not sure if he was checking for authenticity or what, but it left a memory. <laughs> the most lasting memory, though, as a dad would have to be the time with my daughters, Kim and Beth, and watching them serve. Please continue to pray for Beth as she remains in Malawi for the next two years serving with African Bible College. Before our trip, we were all asked to prepare and write out our story of redemption. I prepared mine, but I thought, how would I know when or who to share it with? I also wondered if anyone would want to hear it or if it would make any difference. I left with a lot of prayer support and expectation, knowing the Spirit would guide me to anything I was called to do, whether to hold a sick and dirty youngster or to share with one of the Malawi ABC students. We were given Malawi students and grads as helpers throughout our trip. I assumed God would prompt me to share with one of the guys, but God kept putting the same two young women next to me, one at a time. I got to know each one, I believe ages 25 and 32, and I knew if God were to put one of them next to me as the trip progressed that I must share my story. In each case, after hearing how God has transformed my life, the one I was sharing with turned to me in disbelief. Each assumed I had always been as I am now. In fact, they assumed that for all of us in the group. I asked each of them if they would share their own stories with me, which they gladly did. I wanted them to know that it was not me, but God's work in me that has made me who I am today. Brian reinforced that by sharing some of his story at the youth prison. I was surprised that my slightly watered-down story would make an impact. Later, I heard, overheard this statement that many local people believe the following. Black man, black heart, white man, white heart. How could anyone think such a thing or come to such a wrong conclusion? I thought about it and realized that, of course, they see sin all around them just as we do. But the majority of the white-skinned people that come to them are coming to love and to serve. So for me to explain that I was not always this way and that I still struggle made an impact. This is true with everyone we meet, be it neighbor or someone in our church. If we don't share our stories, then we're left believing Joe was always a Bible study leader and a loving husband 
where Mary was always a strong, faithful prayer warrior and Sunday school teacher. But me, I could never get past my bondage to self in order to love on others. We're all called to continually tell our stories of bondage to freedom with those in the church as well as with our neighbor, not just those we go to visit overseas. If you don't have a story of redemption, or if you'd like a new story of redemption, then maybe it's time for you to ask God to invade your heart and your life. Thank you. So that's just a, a smidgen, you know, of there were uh, like 14 of us and we all have different stories and different experiences, but it, it was uh, an amazing, amazing time. So I would just challenge you uh, to take opportunity, invite one of the people uh, from the Malawi team over for dinner and just hear more about it. If you're serving steak, invite Christine and I, would be awesome. Uh, so Yeah. Invite some of the Malawi team over. We may work together to have a, maybe a night where we share a little bit more, but uh, you can take that opportunity yourself. But now it's my turn, and I want to begin by sharing what was just a very meaningful experience uh, for me in Malawi, how, how, I saw, how I saw God work through, through me and through a young man named Sam. One of the days we were at Bright Vision, and I'll just pause here. Bright Vision, we hear about Bright Vision if you've been around and how, how uh, it's this orphan feeding program or children feeding program. And being there, we know it's just amazing the things it does. It does more than that. It, it's training the community in farming and, and just a, a lot of things. And what, what I discovered that I didn't know, because Kellen comes back and he shares about it, and he talks a lot about Stanley the founder, but I don't think Bright Vision would be what it is without Kellen and his partnership with Stanley. And so I heard Stanley's testimony, and Stanley was pointing at Kellen. When Kellen comes, he points at Stanley, but but Kellen was just instrumental in this uh, forming of this uh, community development thing, really, Bright Vision is. And and, and Kellen had arranged for a group of village pastors, so there's there's the uh, Bright Vision here, at the base of this mountain, I should have a picture, but I don't. So everybody knows where Bright Vision is, and then there's villages surrounding it. And Kellen had invited a group of village pastors and church leaders to come and receive some training. Uh, he asked me to speak to them about leadership. And Sam, uh, there, an ABC grad, was my translator. Now, before I left for Malawi, I, I thought and I prayed about what, because I knew about this before, what I could communicate about leadership in, in one hour. He gave me an hour, and it was translated, so that means about 30 to 40 minutes. He asked me to speak on leadership, and so I thought about it. And the thing that kept coming to me was the importance of love in leadership, to be a loving leader, that, that leading in love, that was the title of my message uh, uh, was more was so important, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But but when the message was finished, so I gave my message, and Sam translated. Everyone was just very grateful. They had a time of standing up and asking questions and sharing. They were grateful and and uh, thanked me again and again. They asked how they could receive more training to be better pastors and better leaders. And from their comments, I, I knew they had understood what I had been trying to communicate. 
And that, I believe, was because God was working through Sam. Sam was able to take what I was saying, not only in English, but coming from my Western culture, and make it understandable in Chichewa to a people living in African villages. I can't tell you how impressed I was with this young man, Sam. A true leader, a true man of God, one of these disciples of Kellen's. I would say that Sam's heart for God and his willingness to serve really reflects highly on the ministry of Kellen and Becca there. Sam was discipled by Kellen. He was the, the captain of the ABC soccer team that Kellen coaches. And I'm sure that God has just great things in, in store for, for Sam. He's, he, like several, is, he wants to, you know, I think he could be a pastor myself just talking to him and stuff, but he wants to go into business and then go and help in these communities that are struggling. Now, after the message uh, that Sam and I had done, I had the privilege of giving each person in uh, their own Cheche- that had come their own Chichewa Bible. Now, you'd think that uh, as pastors and church leaders that they'd already have Bibles, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Kellen said that most of the time, the church has a Bible that, that it owns, then it can be borrowed. But most Christians who live in the villages of Malawi don't have their own personal, uh, personal Bible, let alone a, a cell phone with five different translations uh, at their fingertips. And so you can see uh, why they're hungry for biblical training. Now, the message Sam and I shared with them, uh, like all good sermons, had three points. First, you must know that God loves you. Uh, second, you must love God. And third, because God loves you and, and you love God, you can love others, specifically uh, people in their own congregation. So I was directing them. The, the focus of the message was how they could love the people that they were ministering to. Now, I share this with you because our passage for today, so we're sort of transitioning now into the, the, the message, is probably the greatest evidence of the first point of my message to these guys in Malawi. You must know that God loves you. In fact, when I was sharing this with the church leaders in Malawi, I said, I'm looking forward to returning to Riverside uh, because I'm preaching through the book of Romans And when I get back, my first message will be from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. This is the greatest declaration of God's love for His children in in all of His Word, I believe. And so today, I want us to quickly walk through these nine verses. Nine verses? What are you talking about? Uh, In fact, we're going to back up and cover even more than nine this this morning, but it's going to be really quick. We're going to do a little overview of the love of God. In upcoming weeks, we'll go back. I'm not just going to chapter 9, by the way. We're going to go back and look at this in more detail. But, but today, I want us to see these verses in a, in, a, in a whole, in their whole context. I want you to take them in, and I want to allow them to allow them to give you what I believe if you don't have, you're not going to go where God wants you to take you. What you need is full assurance of God's love for you. Because as I said to the church leaders in Malawi, it's only when you believe that God loves you that you will be able to, that you will step out and love God, and that you will be able to be free to love others. It's only when we experience the love of God in our lives, and by experience I mean know it in our head and in our heart, 
that will be secure and willing to sacrificially other, love others. Now, four weeks ago, it was four weeks ago, uh, when we were last in Romans chapter 8, we looked at verses 28 through 30. And these verses provide the context for verses 31 through 39, the context of God's love for you. The Apostle Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose, for Christians given their life to Christ, God's Word, God's word promises that all things will work together for good. Romans 8.28, I mean, yes, 8.28 promises that God will cause every Everything you experience in your life, including and especially suffering, to work together for your good. This is true for Christians in America who have much, and for Christians in Malawi who have little. The good that God works in our lives has nothing to do with the comforts of this world. Let me say that again. The good that God works in our life has absolutely nothing to do with the comforts of this life, of this world. And it has everything to do with His work in our lives. You see, we see that because in verses 29 through 30, it tells us how God works all things, how He does this together for good. For those whom He foreknew, God foreknew you before you were even born, before the creation of the world, even God knew you and God loved you. And because of that, He also predestined. To predestine means to set a destination for ourselves or someone else. God, because of His love for us, has set a destination for us. And that destination is to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is the purpose. This is the good that God is working in our lives. That we will be like Jesus. Why? In order that we might be the firstborn. Excuse me. That He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That we might uh, be, in a sense, brothers with Christ. That we might join into the family of God. Jesus is the firstborn, but because of what He did on the cross, we can be His brothers and sisters. We were predestined to be like Jesus, to be a child of God. And those whom He predestined, He also called. These are the ones who respond to the gospel. God, through His Word, calls us into relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And in relationship with God, we're conformed to the image of Christ. And those whom He called, He also justified. Do you get the picture here? He's foreknewing you. He's predestining you. He's calling you. He's justifying you. To be justified is to be declared righteous. And as we've seen in Romans, we are justified by God's grace through faith alone. It's a finished work of Christ. And those whom He justified, He also, peace to resistance, the the apex, glorified. To be glorified means to be fully conformed to the image of Christ. One day we will be like Jesus Christ. But notice Paul speaks of our, our future glorification in the past tense. He says that our future glory is certain. It's a done deal. So based on what we've just read, based on verses 28 through 30, know this. If you are a believer today, it's because of God's work in your life. Before you even existed, it was God who foreknew you, uh, foreloved you. 
It was God who predestined you and God who called you. And it was God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ who justified you. And finally, it is God who glorifies you. Now, if you really think about it, if you meditate on, and I recommend this, all that God in Christ has done and will do for you, then you're drawn to this amazing and wonderful conclusion. And that's what Paul communicates to us in verses 31 through 39. The communication of God's love for you. Following this description in verses 28 through 30 of all that God has done for his children, Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? I love, I love Paul's writing here. What, what, what God in Christ Jesus has done for you is the most amazing thing you can ever imagine or think. What can you say? It's too wonderful for words, but, but all we have is words. And so Paul continues, if God is for us, who can be against us? What a, what a great question. If God causes all things to work together for good, if God foreknew you and predestined you and called you and justified you and glorified you, if God is even now conforming you into the image of His beloved Son, if God is for you, what in the name of God do you have to worry about? Who can be against you? Who can stand against, not you, who can stand against God? It's not you standing alone against the world. It's you standing in the shadow of the almighty creator of the universe who loves you. Know this, child of God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God in his grace and love and mercy did not spare his own son. God sent Jesus into our sinful world to to sacrifice his life for those who he called. God gave what is most precious to him, his son, the life of his son for you. How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? All things. Is there anything you need? Is there anything you lack? God holds nothing back from his children. Now, some take this to mean wrongly, let me say, That God will give us the things we want in this world. But that's not what Paul's saying at all. This is very clear when you visit Christians who live in poverty. When I saw the many things I take for granted that my Malawian brothers and sisters do not have, including a Bible, I became more certain than ever that God's love does not come in the form of earthly possessions. Instead, when Paul says God will give all things, this is a promise of our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. We've seen this already in Romans, that we will share in all things with Christ. We uh, Christians, Americans, Malawians, people from every tribe and tongue and language will be rulers and kings and queens and judges with Christ. We will be given all things. Therefore, Paul continues, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. If you're a child of God, it's only because you're God's elect. That word elect means chosen. Why did he choose you and why doesn't he choose others? Uh, That's a huge question. And we'll look at that maybe a a little later. 
But know this, not, not today, later in Romans. But know this, he didn't choose you. Know this, uh, oh, it was a line from the song we sang, and I can't remember it. Dang it. Uh, anyways, it just talked about how we are, uh, how, how bad we are and how good he is. Know this, he didn't choose you because you're awesome. And when he chose you, he justified you. In Christ, he declares you to be righteous. You are, if you're in Christ, chosen by God, you're right before God. So who can bring any charge against you? I think Paul has the enemy, the accuser of the brethren in mind here. And what he's saying is that when Satan accuses you, when you sin and he says, you're not good enough to be a child of God, know this, God has declared you righteous. Now, we've talked about this a lot in Romans, and we won't go back into it. You aren't righteous, by the way. You you aren't not righteous. You know that, and I know that. I know that about me, and I know it about most of you, actually, by personal experience. But God has declared us righteous. He's, he said, I'm declaring you righteous, even though you're not being righteous right now. He's, he's sort of, uh, he's declaring us who we are, who we, are, who we will be. He's declared us, because one day He will fully conform us to the image of Christ. So in God's sight, I don't even know how to put it, Because of God's decree, who can bring a charge against you? No one can accuse you. And who is is to condemn? No one can accuse you or condemn you. Why? It has nothing to do with, with your ability to be righteous. It has nothing to do with who you are. Uh, it has everything to do with Jesus. Maybe it has everything to do with who you are in Christ. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us as if we haven't heard enough already of the amazing things God has done for us. You cannot be accused or condemned because of Jesus. Jesus died for you. He was raised from the dead, proving His victory over sin and death. And right now, believe it or not, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Jesus is now praying for you. He's praying, I believe, that God will do what it takes in your life to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. If God is for you, who can be against you? If Jesus is praying for you, then what can go wrong? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? If all we've seen is true, and it is, then one thing is for sure. The love of God, the love of Christ, has a permanent hold on you. Jesus has a firm, will not let go, grip on you. We were, we we actually, if you saw the end pictures there, we went on a safari at the end for two days. It was pretty awesome, too. If you saw those pictures, how did you get that? Was, did you take that picture of that lion roaring? Wow, that was pretty great. I got some lion pictures. Mine weren't as good as Michaela. Michaela's photography humbled me a little bit. Uh, I had my big lens out. and I was, 
But one of the things we saw was a hippo standing beside the road and it had his, all these claw marks on it. And the driver said, yeah, that hippo uh, was, was, was attacked by lions. And they had it. They had a grip on him, but the hippo got away. Well, that's not going to happen to us. Jesus has a grip. He has his claw. He won't let us get away. Nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, is actually rhetorical. And the answer is no one or no thing. And that's what Paul makes clear. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In this life, Christians face all of these things. As Americans, we tend to face less of them. But throughout history and even today, we saw it in Malawi, Christians are suffering tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and the sword, death itself. But do any of these things mean that God does not love us? And the answer in every case is no, no, no. God's love is permanent and will result in our eternal good. And God is using the difficulties of this life to conform us into the image of His Son because He loves us. As it is written, for your sake we will be killed Excuse me. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep uh, to be slaughtered. This is like a weird sort of verse stuck in, in here if you read it through. But it's a quotation from Psalm 44, verse 22. Paul uses it to show that the difficulties list, that he lists in verse 35, tribulation and distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, are part of the Christian life. We're not exempt from being led to the, uh, to the slaughter. We're not exempt from suffering or death. Something most Christians around the world know by experience. But we Christians in America seem to struggle with. Uh, really? I have to do that? God doesn't want me to do that. You know, We just struggle with, with doing things or, or experiencing things that we regard as suffering. Being a Christian means... Uh, it includes, it does not exempt us from suffering. But suffering is not the purpose. It's not the end. It's a, it's a means to an end. Being killed and death and suffering is not our final destination. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Yes, we will suffer, but, but suffering does not define us. In Christ, we will have victory. We are more than conquerors. One day, sin will be no more. One day, we'll be fully conformed to the image of Christ. How do we know? How can we be sure that we, we endure to the end? We, we will conquer th- through Him who loves us? Well, the answer is in the question. Because it's, through, it's not through us. It's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on... If, if my staying in the hands of God, staying in the love of God was dependent on me, I would have been gone a long time ago. We're more than conquerors through Him who loves us. It's all about God's eternal, everlasting love for you. Paul ends this chapter with a grand crescendo uh, describing the extent of God's love. If you've not memorized these two verses in your Bible, do it as soon as possible. For I am sure uh, you, like Paul, can have assurance. 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation, that pretty much covers it all, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ Jesus, if, you're trust, if you've trusted in Christ Jesus, then nothing will separate you from the great and glorious love of God. Not your sins, not your doubts, not your fears. Nothing will cause God to stop loving you, to let go of you. Do you believe that? Believing that, believing that you're secure uh, uh, in the love of God is, I believe, the beginning of walking in a real relationship with God Himself. Being secure enough to go to Him in your sin, in your fears, with your doubts, knowing He loves you no matter what. Now, now don't get me wrong. He loves you no matter what, but He is totally into changing you. You know, if you love me, you won't try to change me. Balderdash, is that a word? That is so wrong. If you love someone, you want the best for them. And to leave them in their squalor is crazy. And God especially knows how to change us for our good. Because He loves us, He wants to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And He loves you not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. He loves you because you've trusted in the finished work of Christ. He loves you because you're in Christ. And so today... As we celebrate God's work in Malawi and and celebrate God's love that makes that work possible, it's only because of God's love that any of what we shared today is possible. And that love is seen most clearly and understood most profoundly at the cross. I want to share a story that I I shared back when we were in Romans chapter 5 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was. In Romans chapter 5 is that other chapter that really clearly defined, in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing to do with you. While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And I shared this story, and I want to share it again because it makes the point of God's love so well. A, a certain medieval monk, so this is a while ago, announced he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. As the shadows fell and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered. In the darkness of the altar, the monk lit a candle and carried it to the crucifix. First of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns. Next, the two wounded hands. Then the marks of the spear wound. In the hush that fell, he blew out the candle and left the altar. There was nothing else to say. He who out of love did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so it's most appropriate that we conclude our service with communion by remembering the great love God demonstrated when he sent his son to die in our place. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take time now to remember. We've talked about it. We've sang about it. We'll continue to sing about it, about the love of God. Now we're going to remember the ultimate 
demonstration of that love is seen on the cross. Would the ushers, worship team, come forward as I pray. Father God, thank you again so much. How the words, words are so uh, inadequate to describe uh, all you've given us, to describe your amazing love for us. But we bow before you in our hearts figuratively, Lord, and we say thank you. Thank you that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Thank you that Christ, in Christ, we have all things. Or that we need not fear your rejection because you've given yourself to us. You love us as a father loves a child. Lord, help us now as we, as we celebrate that demonstration, that grand and glorious demonstration that not only demonstrated your love for us, but made your love accessible to us, that we can now, because of Christ, come to you and experience your love. Be with us now and, and just help us to, as we take partake of communion together, Lord, help us to truly experience in our head and our heart the love of the love of God. Amen.